3: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Wednesday, October 19th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi's Democratic lawmakers tackle questions regarding the state's welfare spending. Then the chair of the January 6th Select Committee discusses the next chapter of the investigation. Plus, this week's History is Lunch looks at the historic town of Bayou. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Democrats in the Mississippi House and Senate are examining the system that allowed millions of dollars in welfare money to be misspent. Yesterday, during a joint caucus hearing, House Minority Leader Robert Johnson opened it by pointing out a significant disparity in the state's welfare spending.
1: We try not to, as much as possible, talk about race in this state because it's so obvious. But everything that you see, all these impacts on poverty, you can multiply them when they they apply to black children and black mothers and black families. And so when we have a duty here to make sure that we do a better job, uh, not just because of what Nancy New did or Lieutenant Governor Bryan did, or for that matter, what, what Governor Tate Reeves did with his personal trainer and whoever else got money, But what's important is that we focus on the people who should get this money and and change the status quo in this state and do a better job. And with that, I want to call our first witness, Mr. Anderson, from the Department of Human Services. We appreciate him being here.
3: And during his remarks, Department of Human Services Director Bob Anderson told lawmakers the agency was a mess when he stepped in. He walked through some of the reforms he's implemented since taking over. Those changes include the creation of a compliance department, something DHS didn't have under former Director John Davis. Anderson also said that applications for direct aid from temporary assistance for needy families have modestly increased, but he's asking lawmakers to reconsider some legislative policies that minimize participation in direct assistance programs.
2: Those increases have happened while the eligibility requirements have remained unchanged and uh, while some of the sanctions that are written into our law remain unchanged. What do I mean by that? Well, families that apply for TANF who, for whatever reasons, the TANF work element is not satisfied, they can be sanctioned. They can lose their TANF benefits. And if they're sanctioned a second time, they can lose not only their TANF benefits, but they can lose their SNAP benefits. Now, I have not done a study, although we are hoping to get to the place as an agency where we can begin to study those numbers. But I suspect that is a huge chilling impact on families who would otherwise apply for TANF benefits. The sanctions that are present in our law. Those were there when I got there. They're still in our law as as we speak today.
3: Anderson outlined other efforts the agency is making to provide support to TANF recipients. The panel of lawmakers also heard from people who received TANF and leaders of community organizations. Following the hearing, Representative Johnson issued a reminder about which Mississippians are most deeply impacted when TANF funds are mismanaged.
1: It is clear from the uh, very aggressive and very thorough reporting from the uh, investigation and prosecution by state agencies and federal agencies that there has been a misuse of funds but what no one is talking about is that the abuse and the and the neglect of the people that TANF was was uh, designed to serve we appreciate the executive director being here uh, the executive director uh, at least acknowledging that there are problems with the program that people are not being served and that needs to be corrected that's what we want to do As as interesting and dramatic as it is to talk about professional football players and former governors getting millions of dollars, sending them to places they shouldn't be, the most important thing is that there are over 100,000 or 190,000 children who are not receiving funds and benefits that they need to help work their way out of poverty.
3: The misuse of those funds are under federal investigation. Congressman Benny Thompson of Bolton says state lawmakers should do more to make sure federal dollars are appropriately spent.
4: Somewhere Mississippi uh, went in the wrong direction. Uh, We need to help those families who are less fortunate. You know, this is specific dollars designed to do just that. We have more needed people proportionally in our state uh than most states in the nation, and for our officials to just misuse that money just because those families are less fortunate is a sin and shame, and they need to be prosecuted now, a legislature has a responsibility to put a system in place that protects those families because they are They are citizens of Mississippi, too. So I look forward to them doing a better job at handling the federal funds uh, that come to our
3: state. Coming up, more from Congressman Thompson as he discusses the next chapter of the January 6th investigation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. (music) This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Last week, the January 6th committee held what's anticipated to be its last public hearing before the midterm. The bipartisan group has been investigating the events leading up to the day of the insurrection and what happened on that day. They ended their final meeting with a vote to subpoena former President Donald Trump. In part two of his conversation with MPB's Michael Guidry, Chairman Benny Thompson discusses the final chapter of the committee's work.
4: We interviewed over a 1,000 witnesses and have collected a couple of million uh, exhibits uh, for our report. But what we need more than anything else, based on all that information and people we talked to, is to now hear from the person where the majority of that information directed us to, and that's former President Trump. So, I think, uh, if the president loves this country, like he says, uh, he does, then it's in his best interest as well as the country that we hear from him. Uh, but if he is going to come and plead the fifth, which is his absolute under, uh, our Constitution, his right to do, then the people need to see him taking the fifth rather than uh, answering the questions. So we look forward in the not-too-distant future to have a decision from former president on the issuance of our subpoena, and and we'll see if he can, in fact, uh, shed additional light on all this information our select committee has uncovered as to what happened uh, on January 6th, if he chooses not to come, for which uh, he he might, then we will indicate in that report uh, that he didn't do it. So we stand on the evidence that we collected because there's nothing in our body of review that says contrary to what we are presenting,
0: is there an appetite with the committee to request the Department of Justice compel him to testify if he if he doesn't voluntarily do so?
4: Well, I think uh there's an appetite uh to allow congress uh, to potentially hold him uh in contempt of Congress like we've held some other people for not honoring the subpoena and and obviously. Uh, I hope it wouldn't come to that, but if, in fact, uh, uh, the president uh, refuses, then obviously that's one of the considerations that our committee will, will have to look at and ultimately move forward one way or the other on it.
0: And if the former president were to testify, uh, respond to the subpoena, testify in front of the the select committee, would this be done behind closed doors, or would you push for an an open hearing?
4: Well, the majority of our witnesses that we've subpoenaed uh, have done uh, in some organized fashion uh, based on an agreement. Uh, If he says, I'll come behind closed doors, then that's fine with us if he says i'll come only uh if it's in in public then we'll make a decision but for benny thompson the chairs uh, uh vote uh i'll say sure come on we don't have anything to hide uh but you'll do it under oath like all our other witnesses and uh i hope that you will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth because if if you come to the committee and we find that you've perjured yourself, then obviously you will be referred for prosecution for perjury. Nobody is above the law, not even former President Donald John Trump.
0: And you've said that no matter what the decision from the former president to uh to, to to testify you have a report uh will that report that you know that you're compiling that you will release to the public and provide the uh, department of justice uh, will there be recommendations um within that report
4: yes uh that's one of the charges Congress gave to us as a committee uh is to make recommendations uh uh back to them uh so that if we adopt them then uh that uh Uh, insurrection we saw on January 6th uh, should never, ever happen again. Uh, A president shouldn't attack his own president just because he lost. A president shouldn't uh, encourage supporters uh, to hang his vice president uh, uh, just because he lost. Uh, A president shouldn't invite people to Washington uh, and, upon invitation, encourage them to go to the Capitol Uh, uh, like former President Trump did. That's just not uh, who we are as a country. Uh, You expect people in charge uh, to take that leadership mantle seriously and do what's in the best interest of the country, not what's in the best interest of that individual personally. I can say that everything our report will share Uh, uh, with the public, we can prove. Now, there are some questions that former President Trump could answer, but we stand by uh, uh, our report as factual and based on our professional investigation of any and all of the facts and circumstances that brought about January 6th.
0: There's been a very public-facing component to this through the hearings and the evidence that you presented, but information silos are very rigid and structured um, uh, in the United States right now. Uh, what kind of challenges does that present when you are, uh, you, like you said, plan to make this whole thing public, a report public? What challenges does it present kind of knowing that that the information that you have compiled is not reaching all of the American electorate?
4: Well, it's not reaching them in the sense that they believe otherwise. Uh, I don't see it as rigorously siloed. Uh, The majority of the people who testified before our committee uh, were Republicans. Uh, A majority of those Republican witnesses were people who worked in the Trump administration who told him, uh, that he had lost the election, uh, who told him that none of the the people who were offering facts to the contrary were creditable, and that it was disingenuous on his part to play and listen uh, to that clown car uh, of of people because they were patently wrong. And to promote it was not in the best interest of the greatest democracy in the world. Our hearings presented the facts, presented the witnesses. Uh, At every hearing, as chair, I invited somebody with a difference of opinion uh, to come to the committee to offer that difference, and we'll be glad to include it. But as of this date, uh, we've not had those individuals to come forward. So you can only conduct a public investigation so much uh, when other members of the public don't come and offer a counter uh, narrative to what's being presented. Then the assumption is that what you are presenting must be the truth. And Donald John Trump is the only person based on what Our hearings have brought out, our investigations have uncovered, who can clear up any item uh, that might, for whatever reason, be unclear in the minds of the public.
0: Representative Benny Thompson of Mississippi 2nd Congressional District, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: Coming up, this week's History is Lunch looks at the historic town of Mound Bayou. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
2: Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere.
0: Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the
1: podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mound Bayou is the oldest known black community in Mississippi. Founded by two former slaves, the town became a vibrant center of black culture into the mid-20th century. And it's the centerpiece of filmmaker Roderick Red's latest work. Red is presenting today at History is Lunch at the two Mississippi museums. He speaks with our Michael Guidry.
5: Mount is, is an incredible subject, I think, because it is uh, unique in its, uh, in its history. So it was founded by ex-slaves. Um, and it is arguably the oldest um, Black municipality in the country. Uh, there's a few of them that are vying for the the, uh, the title of first in different places, including Mexico, and uh, also I think in Illinois. But um, Mount Bayou is very unique in that it's it's one of the it's uh, is arguably one of the oldest in the country, and and one that is still in existence today. So uh, it has a rich history that ties into. Um, the civil rights movement, and just uh, uh, a lot of history that impacts the uh, the rest of the country and African-Americans as a whole.
0: Uh, what do we know uh, about Maung Bayou and uh, the, I, I, I guess, the, the health of the community, um, you know, going into the early 20th century?
5: Yeah, it was one of the most prosperous cities um, in the state. Um, uh, that was back during the time after Reconstruction when, um uh, Cotton was still king, and, um, and Mount Bayou was uh, world-renowned for, uh, for their cotton. And so obviously being located in Mississippi Delta, the whole ground there, uh, and also it was, a, it was a kind of free town that was you know, run by African-Americans. Uh, a lot of African-Americans are really wealthy. The town had things like banks. You had stores and shops. Um, but um, it also uh, cotton was the king, and it really was a source of their wealth really uh, right after Reconstruction in the early uh, 20th century. And uh, that uh, coincided with um, just the uh, extraordinary growth and educational opportunities for the African Americans that lived there. Yeah, and it was incredible. It was an incredible place uh, up until that point. It kind of dipped down a little bit after the 1930s, but then it shot back up again around the Civil Rights Movement um, after T.R.M. Howard uh, ended up moving there, and a lot of things were happening then. So,
0: yeah. And then when people think of mom today they uh, i imagine many don't think of this once prosperous um center of 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 black mississippi life and from what i understand it is uh, emblematic of what happened to many places of of black prosperity following the civil rights movement specifically following uh integration how Ferris Street in downtown Jackson is often an example uh, that's used. How did integration hurt uh, these prosperous um, African-American communities in Mississippi?
5: Uh, that's a great question. The You know, uh, I mean, it can be argued to say that integration is one of the things that helped, you know, kind of put the town in the situation that it's in now. I mean, integration offered opportunities for African-Americans to uh, leave. Mount Bayou no longer needed to be that place to To protect African Americans African Americans could uh venture out into new opportunities um after uh integration uh, started and so uh that took away you know its its talent capital and it's uh, it's it's residents there and it, you know and it gave opportunities for other folks to move up north to Memphis to move places to Jackson and all around the country and right now there's a constituency of Mount Bayouans all around the country um who can trace the roots of mount bayou but um you know Aggression kind of did that uh, because of, of opportunities outside of there and also because of the limited opportunities that are available in the Mississippi Delta and in just Mississippi as a whole. So, uh, yeah, it definitely devastated it in a way.
0: In, in the same vein, what role did the Mount Bayou play, even if it's not even if it's not, if it's not what it was? What role did having that community play in the, 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 the prosperity of the families that came from Mount Bayou?
5: I mean, Mount Bayou is integral, um, to the prosperity of those who, uh, uh those who had lived there and those who had moved on. An example is we got a chance to interview, um, uh, Lejeune Montgomery, uh, Tabron, who is, uh, currently the CEO of the Kellogg Foundation. But she's a, a direct descendant of the founder of Mount Bayou, who was a slave of uh, Isaiah T. Montgomery. You know, that, that was a direct, she was a direct descendant of Isaiah T. Montgomery, who was educated at a time african-americans were educated so they were generations ahead of most african-americans in the country and that's kind of how you know that's kind of the story about folks in by you they were generations ahead you know uh, miss miss uh, montgomery tabern had you know doctors and lawyers in her family during a time where it was very scarce you see a african-american doctor or lawyer back in the 30s the 40s and the 50s um and so uh obviously that obviously helped her propel herself to be where she is there. Just being a descendant of those souls, being able to come from a family that was, you know, educated at a time where there weren't many of us educated as African Americans. So, um yeah, my Bayou was pivotal in, in the folks' lives and 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 building wealth and prosperity that they be ever took around the country and they didn't even live their lives out today.
0: And so that, that brings me to the the documentary. Uh and you, you've told us why Mount Bayou is a great subject uh, of a documentary, but as a filmmaker, as a documentarian, why is it important to tell the story of Mount Bayou and why is now the time to do so?
5: These stories are important because we need to be able to make sure that, you know, the, the younger generation and generations that come after us understand the full totality of, you know, African-American history in this country. You know, it wasn't just, um, you know, I was started with slavery uh, and, moved on from there and then they usually jumps all the way to the civil rights movement but before that there were towns and there were municipalities there were businesses there were opportunities for african-americans to build something for themselves and they did it and they were wildly successful and so it's important to tell those stories so that they know they get the
2: full history
5: of what what it's like being an african-american in this country uh and you know just the feat of being able to have them do it in a place like mississippi is just even more uh incredible and so it's super important for folks to Know about that, especially during a time like this where, um, you know, people want to, there's been, there may have been some efforts to kind of shutter African uh, American history in schools and things like that, um, where this is important during these times where people kind of fully understand the breadth of uh, African American history in this country.
0: And the documentary is Promised Land, a story about Mound Bayou. A Roger Redd filmmaker who's also presenting parts of this documentary at the two Mississippi museums today as a part of history is lunch. Uh, Roderick, thank you so much for sharing this with us, um, and, and good luck with the, the future of this documentary. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
3: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.